I want to see people rip their heart out of their f***ing chest. Oh, yeah! I will have a buddy. Smell it in the air. Can you smell it? JT, Real Muto re-signed. Didi Gregorius re-signed. It's a big Philly show today. It's our opening segment we're going to talk about first. Then we're going to touch on a little bit of the Sixers action and their recent hot stretch, specifically that Lakers game the other night. Um, tremendous victory at home. And then dive into a little bit of the Eagles. Obviously, Nick Sirianni introduced in his presser some questions that T wants to bring up and some things that caught his eye. Um, let's just say it's not the best of uh, visual. What is going on back there? We're able to see and hear from Nick Sirianni in his opening press conference. And we'll wrap it up at the end with a little Flyers talk. But guys, we have to bring up one of the biggest signings, at least re-signings in you know, previous years and recent memory uh, with the Phillies organization. And that is JT Romuto is going to be re-signed. Uh, five-year contract worth $115.5 million. It's going to be him and Bryce Harper leading this franchise for the foreseeable future. So we all agree this is huge news for this team because if we didn't re-sign JT, um, you know, we're already competing as a tremendous division of the talented teams that are already, you know, going to be playing against us a bunch of times each season. Now the fact that we will get him as a cornerstone piece, what does that mean for this franchise, you know, going forward? And well, will we be able to compete with these other powerhouses in our division? Well, first and foremost, I, I got to say this because I've been one of the biggest advocates of re-signing JT Real Muto. So finally, I get to say this. It's about damn time. It's seriously, it is about damn time, man. It, this is a long time coming, and I'm so happy we finally got this done. You know, a five-year, $110 million contract, making him the highest-paid catcher in the MLB. Um, the only thing I do have a problem with, that contract is kind of hefty for a catcher. And I'm the only reason why I'm saying that is because I do feel like at times when I look at this contract, I do feel like the Phillies kind of bit against themselves a little bit because I think JT Real Muto went out into the free market in order to see what his value was to everybody else. And I think he realized that, okay, maybe my market isn't as big as I thought it was. You know, maybe I can get the money I thought – you know, I could because reportedly he wanted a five year contract, five, six year contract, one hundred and eighty million dollars. So, you know, obviously he's sixty, seventy million dollars short of that. But, you know, listen, I'm I'm happy they got it done. Regardless, I do feel like JT kind of took a, a risk on himself and he kind of unfortunately he cost himself in the end by betting on himself. But, hey, he still got paid either way. And I'm glad he's back. And this is finally over. Yeah, definitely, T. Um, we can finally have it in past tense. Signed, JT. That's that's past tense now. We yes. did it. And I'm glad we did. This team is – I'm excited to see this team now. We have Didi uh, signed back as well. And yep. you know what I think happened? Um, JT, he, he wanted to come back to Philly. He wanted to play back. That He made that obvious. He said that. And I think between him getting word from Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper and him, they're buds. Um, and Harper's been – adamant about having signed JT on his t-shirt or wearing a JT real Muto <laughs> shirt and batting practice. He wants him back. And I think JT was informed about the Phillies plans. Um, I think that made it a little better for him to come back. And, and I think they let him know what they were doing with the bullpen because that's, he's going to be involved with that. He, he's the guy behind the plate catching for these guys. Um, and, and with that, with even with the DD signing, uh, that helps this team out tremendously because we would have to be talking about who we're going to get for shortstop or if we're going to be move or if we're going to have Gene Segura go to shortstop who Scott Kingery at second base, I'm not really behind uh, Kingery being the starter. So this, 
tremendously helps out the Phillies. Yeah, you know, you mentioned D.D. Gregorius, another signing, 284 batting average last year, led the team. He also led the team in RBIs as well with 40 RBIs on the shortened season. Look at J.T. Romuto. He batted 266 last year. You know, maybe a little, you know, overhyped. Obviously, us Phillies fans know the impact he brought to the team. But when you're looking on the outside looking in here, or when you're on the outside looking in, you know, what's your question mark? What do you question? Do you question if this was a good sign? Is he worth that money, that much of a contract? We know Matt Klintak before he was out of this organization said, you know, his market isn't going to be as big as people think he are or think it is going to be for him. You know, people were saying it's going to be around $200 million to re- or to sign JT Romito in the open market. It was nowhere near that. So do you think this five-year, $115 million contract is worth the money? I know personally being able to compete moving forward, we obviously gave up six to Sanchez. You don't want that to go down in history as one of the biggest regrets in your franchise. So is it worth it overall? Yeah, this guy's the best catcher in baseball. And you, you got to put the stats from last season behind. This is a shorter season. This was less than half the games that they played. So you look at those stats with a grain of salt. Uh, who knows if they would have improved. This guy's got 95 home runs for his career. We know he played with the Marlins. Uh, we helped them out joining him with the Phillies. And this is a better team, we thought. But the Marlins did make the playoffs. But um, out of all these teams, I think I'm less worried about the Marlins, even though they made the playoffs. Really? Um, just going back, you still got the, you still got the Nats and, uh, the Mets are improving too. team, but that's, a, that's a different discussion with JT. I think it is well-deserved contract. Um, this is going to be, it's a big deal, but it's also a big payout for the Phillies, the way he's going to participate, the way there's going to be runners on base. And if it's say my guy, Andrew Knapp. Uh, in the batter's box, you got less confidence than when JT Ruto, he's up there, you know that he's going to have a a pretty good shot to to get those runners home. Man, look, I I know I I made a gripe about the fact that, you know, JT Ruto got signed for all that money. I know I made a gripe about that, but look, I'm I'm happy for him to be back. Let's not get that mistaken. All right. I, I was one of the, like I said before, I was one of the major guys clamoring for him to come back. He finally got signed. I'm happy. Let's just move on. Let's continue to build up this bullpen because that's still a big question mark for this team, and that's something that they still have to work on. Um, there are there have been some minor trades here and there, you know, trying to reinforce that bullpen and, you know, try to improve that weakness on this team because, let's be honest here, we, we know that the Philadelphia Phillies have the bats, all right? We, we know that they can put runs on the board against anybody in the MLB. It's just that they can't keep the other team from scoring. Especially when you have guys in the bullpen like, okay, why why is Hector Neris still in this doggone team? <laughs> why? <laughs> what is the point of having Hector Neris on this doggone team? Seriously, man. It, yes, man, that's ludicrous. Oh, gosh. <laughs> just, right, look, we're improving. I'm not even going to complain. Let, let, we are. <laughs> Definitely improving. Look at Dede Gregorius now. I think one of the more, you know, not going to say underrated signings because this guy was a, you know, our leader, one of our leaders, especially up the middle, playing the shortstop position, so important. Um, of course, we all know that playing up the middle. We had Jimmy Rollins there uh, so many years, along with Chase Utley. Now you plug him into this lineup again and keep him here two years, two, or two years, $28 million, excuse me. What does Didi Gregorius bring to the franchise at the Phillies for two years now? You know he's locked in as a starting shortstop. We saw what he did on the field. Maybe, maybe what can he do off the field in order to groom these guys because – our farm system isn't super talented, but, but you do have Bryson Stott going to be coming up from the minor leagues shortly. Uh, can he be sort of a veteran leadership uh, and have that presence on this team? I think he can, honestly. Um, and we, we really don't have much of a choice. You know, it, it, this is still 
this is still a growing roster, and, and it's a mix of veteran and young talent, and that young talent still needs to, you know, be coached up. And it, it's kind of it's it's funny that you mentioned that. We're, I'm kind of going to get into that a little bit later on a different subject, but I still I still say in order to build a successful team, you have to have a mix of veterans and young guys because you know those young guys going to be looking up to the veterans who's actually you know been through the hard times and you know they know how to get out of slumps, they know how to you know get themselves going and those young guys you know you're you're coming into you know the MLB and you know you get into a slump you don't know how exactly how to get yourself out of that slump so yeah you still need those older guys and you still need that mix because you still because when those older guys when it's time for them to go and it's their time you have those younger guys to step up I think Didi adjusted very well um, playing that short season uh, joining the Phillies he started off great um, did he he, I, he hit a, two grand slams or one grand slam was within the first couple uh games that he was a philly i think uh 10 home runs uh 40 rbis and just those 60 games as i mentioned so i like his adjustment to the phillies and and who knows with a longer season with his connection with joe girardi what this team can do um and now we're we're set up at the shortstop position um second base uh scott kingery i don't know what they're going to do with that but that's 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 the next question mark. Now we checked off JT Real Muto. We're improving the bullpen. Uh, there's got a few questions in the starting rotation, and now second base is really what this team needs to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Come down to probably you know you look at Scott Kingery, one of those guys that can play multiple positions on the baseball field, and then you have a guy like I don't know uh, Andrew McCutcheon still going to be playing out there in left field. His his center field days are probably over. Still Andrew a big question. McCutcheon at DH, you know. Will, will, will the NL – let me ask you this question. Do you think the Phils benefit from having a DH position, or do you think you'd rather have the pitcher to face every night based off the fact that our pitching staff is pretty weak right now and we can use another easy out? Mm. I think they do benefit from a DH only because, like I said, you still have those older guys. And, you know, and as we've seen, the Philadelphia Phillies aren't afraid to make a trade for an older guy like a Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce came in clutch um, past couple seasons, especially coming in for that DH spot. So I think a DH would definitely benefit the Phillies. Yeah, it definitely benefits the Phillies, but I'm a guy that likes seeing that pitcher in in the batter's box. I like seeing the pitcher work, try to work the count, and that and it, it makes it more of an of an even matchup. I see you got guys like as we mentioned with our DHs coming in and helping the runners on the base um, advance, and that's the reason for that. But I think having the pitcher bat, it, I I like that more personally. Gene Segura, one of the leaders this season in the team, or last season, excuse me, in the team's war, right? 1.2 war last season surprises me because you look at uh, Gene Segura, you don't expect him to be one of the leaders on this team and, you know, wins above replacement. So for him, do you think he, you can buy into the fact that he can be the everyday second baseman at least for another season in Philly? Or do you want to give someone a younger guy an opportunity? I think we can all agree that Scott Kingery is probably not an everyday guy there at second base. How much confidence do you have in Gene Segura going into the season? Uh, I'm, I mean, you got to put him out there. You got to put somebody out there at second base. I mean, look, sure, Scott King, Scott Kingery didn't exactly have you know the best second season in the world, but like I like I said before, he's a young guy, and that's one of the and this is one of those situations where he's got to lean on the older guy and kind of you know just you know take that information that you know that older guy that older veterans are going to give him. So I think we should give Scott Kingery another chance. I don't think we should just you know throw him to the wolves just yet because he's a young guy and I think he'll continue to develop. Honestly, both these guys, Scott Kingery, he did good 
uh, in, in the batting box. Offensively, I think both these guys are all right. But the part that I focus on is defensively. Scott Kingery, we're not sure. At, at the shortstop position, we weren't sure the strength of his arm and even sometimes at third base. But for second base, that helps that out. But defensively, Gene Segura started to fall apart late in that season. Um, the, the mistakes that he made, that one error, it was – that it was our game to win, and I believe we went into extra innings and lost it after Gene Segura dropped that pop fly uh, yeah. over the, the pitcher's mound. And I just I still it's remember stupid. that. So the the effect that his his defense had, he he needs to work on that. And that's just one thing that I noticed specifically from Gene Segura that really makes it a question: um, Can we trust Gene out there on the field? Another guy I want to touch on here is I mentioned previously is Andrew McCutcheon. He had a negative 0.5 war last season. Not something Andrew you expect from McCutcheon. Not something you expect from a former NL MVP with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mentioned the fact that the NL and, and asked you guys the question if it would benefit with the DH for us and the Philadelphia Phillies. Do you have confidence if we don't have the DH every single day? Can he play not 162, but maybe a decent amount of games? You're, uh, you know, maybe 140. Pick your number, right? I don't want him getting injured. Baseball is a different sport, right? This isn't the NBA where you have, you know, road trips, but still the fact that you're not playing every single day, right? So do you have confidence that Andrew McCutcheon is going to get out there in left field for the majority of this season, stay healthy, produce not only defensively, but offensively as well? It, no, he, he, he doesn't have it like that anymore. Coming back from that ACL injury, you know, we all thought that he was going to return back to the Andrew McCutcheon I'm up. Gosh, now I'm calling him Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon of old because, you know, well, nowadays with the advancement of modern science and, you know, ACL injuries not exactly being the major injury that we thought it was before. But um, I don't think so. Um, I think he can benefit. I think he's actually one of the players that can benefit from a DH move, honestly, because, you know, he can still – he's still a threat, you know, when he gets on base – you know, for stolen bases and extra runs. So I think he's actually, like I said, he's actually one of those players that would benefit from a DH. Yeah, Tay, I agree. I agree in that fact. I think that he's still a threat running the bases. Um, even when he's in the batter's box, I still have confidence in him in that way because he, he knows how to work account. He, he's been in the league for a while, and he's considered an old man sports-wise. So that's why I know he's not going to play. Um, the amount of games that we expect him to, and he's going to have a stretch of games where he's resting or either he's sore. And that's just, you can guarantee that because it, it will happen. He's not, there's no way he's going to play um, the amount of games that say Bryce Harper would play. Um, it's just not realistic. Here's why I bring that question up to you guys, because of the fact that we have a little bit of a lack of outfield depth, right? Because, you know, we have Roman Quinn struggles to stay healthy every year he's fast and he does steal a ton of bases actually led the team last year with 12 steals last season but struggles to stay healthy Adam Hazley has yet to prove that he's an everyday player at this level in the major leagues even though he was drafted relatively high uh, in the MLB draft um, when we when the Phillies took him so that's why I've raised the question here because the lack of depth you technically still have a double Herrera on this team um, not the fact that he's going to be playing I'm not saying that's you know a possibility still but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all options here. So I want to flip this thing over here, and I want to touch on JT Romito and, you know, not his offensive ability, but him being able to groom these young pitchers. Do you guys buy into the fact, you know, that people used to say back in the day, Carlos Ruiz was great with uh, the mind of the pitchers, was able to, you know, really help them mentally when they were either struggling on the mound or even having success either one. Do you buy into that? Do you think JT Romito is one of those guys that can 
you know, really groom these young pitchers and, and be able to continue to have, uh, you know, Nola and Wheeler and those guys behind them produce at a high level. I mean, look at look at what Carlos Ruiz was kind of working with um, during, you know, during the end of that Phillies era. I mean, we were playing games where we were winning one nothing, two nothing, and there were times where he he wasn't exactly all the time working with Doc Holliday. You know, he had to work with, you know, um, Cliff Lee and Roy Oswald. So, I think a good catcher can help, you know, develop a young pitcher. Like once again, Carlos Ruiz is a perfect example. When we were winning those really close games and we couldn't really get any runs in, and you know, we had to go to extra innings with you know, zero, zero as the score. So I do think a, a catcher can help develop pitchers. I really do. Listen, catcher is one of the more important positions on the field. You're controlling. You're not only controlling the pitches that the pitcher throws, you're controlling where your guys are uh, in the outfield infield. You're controlling everything. The runners um, you're making the runners go back and forth and you're, you're a threat for those runners, especially JT. I mean, this guy's a golden glove, two time, uh, slugger, silver slugger too. So that, that definitely helps uh, both offensively too. And he's seen pitch a lot of pitchers with the Marlins too. And now the Phillies with these new guys coming in, he, he knows the stuff that some of these guys has, and he can work with these guys. Um, he's, a, I guess you can, he's, he's a, a, a veteran in, in a way with the, behind the, behind the, uh, the plate and he can work with these young guys. One quick note here, D.J. Gregorius, one of five fills last season to have 10 or more home runs, so hopefully he can keep up that success um, what? With the, that next season. I want to ask you this question. i got a couple more topics here on the fills. Um, first of all, the first one will be the how to build a team. You look at people, and the statistics tell you, you know, you get trades, free agency, uh, through the draft. Fills, recently, a lot of their success has come from free agents, not a lot of people, with the exception of Hoskins, maybe Bowman, obviously Aranola through the draft. What's your confidence level going forward? How long can the Phils produce at a high level um, and, and try to compete against these other teams, not only in their division, just in general, um, before you know that, that, that luxury tax comes into play um, and things like that because we're up against it already with the re-signing of both of these guys. Um, do you, does that worry you going forward, the fact we haven't really built so much through the farm system? Y'all know how I like to build franchises. It doesn't matter what franchise it is. Y'all know I like building through the draft. Um, I don't particularly care for going out in free agency and making your team through free agency. Though I will say this, it is a little different where you're talking about baseball and, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of players being developed from, you know, into a farm system because if you if you draft a really good prospect in the farm system, more than likely that player is going to be traded to another team, you know, for an already all-star player. And then that player eventually in the next two or three years will become a, an all-star player in his own respects. So I'm always going to be for developing through, um, through the farm system and developing young players. I'm always going to be an advocate for that. Um, in terms of, it, I'm always going to be an advocate for building through the draft, um, regardless. Uh, I, I just don't believe in free agency, guys. I just don't. Because if you grew up in – if not grew up. If you were brought up in a system with a team and they have a certain level of thinking, and then you go into free agency and you sign on with another team, now you have to adapt to that different thinking than the thinking that you um, came up with. So it, it's it's different. And I do worry about this Phillies team because 
once again, even though JT is still the best catcher in baseball, he's 30 years old. You know, we do have to factor this stuff in. Bryce Harper's not going to get any younger. Didi's not going to get any younger. Gene's not going to get any younger. So we kind of do, we're, we, we're going to have to start looking for young prospects and start developing them because these superstars aren't going to last very long. I agree with you, T. You mentioned that you prefer uh, the drafting over free agency. I don't know. It it depends really on the situation and the player. Of course, you could get a player coming off just two years in free agency. But I want to go back to our farm system with the Phillies, and that's a major concern. You mentioned these players that are getting older, like Bryce Harper, uh, JT Real Muto, D.D. Gregorius, Gene Segura, and, of course, Andrew McCutcheon. What are we going to do after these guys are gone? Because we're going to have a lot to – the Phillies are going to have a lot to work on um, for figuring out what they're going to do, who's coming in next. And that farm system has been picked apart for the Phillies um, in recent years. And that's, that's something that's going to be a struggle for future wise. And it seems almost if the Phillies are in win now mode, it has, we know it's successful, hard, but they're focusing more on the now instead of the future with trading prospects for other guys. Of course we did that for JT and, and the first go around. Now, last topic here on the fills before we flip it. I want to ask you guys about the bullpen. You know, big picture, talk about it right now. Um, this has been a struggle for the Philadelphia Phillies uh, for um, how many years now? That we can look back and year after year, recent memory, uh, the struggles of it. Um, and, you know, we, we got Archie Bradley to come in here, and it's going to be a big piece for us in late innings. But this looks like where it's going to be right now. You know, we have our 40-man roster set. We traded Cole Irvin to the Oakland A's. Um, recently i think within uh within the last few hours actually but mm-hmm. the point of all this is now it looks like we're set in stone here i know we we could use obviously maybe two or three more bullpen pieces you know it's in a perfect world but right now we're up against the cap and with trades and things like that it's a little tough right now so not you know full season depth here because baseball is one of those things where we talk about you know people get injured i guess the question out of all this is the bullpens or the bullpen not the confidence level but in a 162 game season, um, do you think that this bullpen can at least hold up and produce better than last season? Not, and, it's, and that's just like you know an overstatement because of the fact that they were terrible, so they, they can't get much worse. But to just be able to be solid, not not have the top 10 bullpen in baseball. I'm not saying that that's that's far fetched, but to be able to just be decent enough to be able to win those one or two run games. Because listen, the Phils last season, if they won one more game. Than, than they did. They're in the playoffs. They sneak in. So do you think that when, if it's going to come down that close this season, can they, they just hold it together enough in order to maybe sneak in? I'm not, they're, they're probably not going to win a division, but can they sneak in the back door of the playoffs? I think that's the big question that still has yet to be answered, unfortunately. Um, like I said, they've, they've done a little bit of moves here and there to try, to try to improve the bullpen, but it seems as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, fellas, that, you know, to fix the bullpen, they've gone with retreads. You know, maybe guys that got injured or guys that were, you know, that played, you know, out of the MLB for a while. Like, that seems to be the direction that they're going in to try to fix this bullpen. It's not necessarily the best way to go about it because, once again, this has been a weakness on this team for a long time now. Um, Ever since, honestly, ever since 
you know, the the Phillies of old, the Ryan Howards, the Chase Sully, the Jim Rowland, ever since that era ended, the bullpen has been a huge issue. Now, we've had no problem getting runs in, like I've said before, but we cannot hold teams under the amount of runs that we produce. And that's always going to be an issue until this bullpen um, is eventually fixed. And I'm sorry, but I know I said it's yet to be determined, and I'm still going to hold – I'm I'm – trying to be optimistic about this upcoming season and saying that maybe this bullpen can finally turn it around, but it's kind of hard for me to say that they're going to turn it around. If you know, all they keep doing is signing retreads to try to fix this bullpen. Yeah, I agree. It has, you have to see the first couple of games have to see how this, the bullpen comes in and, and relieves the game in that way. But the past couple seasons, we, the Phillies have known that the bullpen, the bullpen is their main concern. But still, maybe sometimes we've gotten distracted with signing guys. And this season, I guess you could say that too. But we've more so focused on the bullpen in this offseason than the the previous couple of years. And I think what Dombrowski and Fold are doing is they know that they they need to improve in the bullpen in order for this team to be successful. And Max, it's going to be hard to be worse than that bullpen last season. As you mentioned, it's a, it's an understatement because I don't think you can do worse. That's the worst <laughs> bullpen in, in MLB history. So oh, for this team gosh. to come in, they're definitely, they're going to be better. Um, T mentioned Hector Neres, and that always makes us cringe oh, that we're still God. talking about him. In my opinion, but even with the improvement, sucked. you add skills to the bullpen, and that sort of is contagious in a way for others to perform better. Let's open the Sixers topic today and just talk about Joel Embiid and his MVP you know, race here. In my opinion, he's the front runner, no question. I know people still want to mention LeBron James and the stats, you know, they don't lie. He's still having a tremendous season. But look at Joel Embiid across the board. He's averaging around 27, 28 points per game. That's a career high. He's averaging 40% from three. That's a career high. I mean, if the, he, he just looks like a more smart basketball player. Being I hear you. All teams, you know, not getting trapped, not throwing balls into the second row, trying to, you know, pass when he gets trapped. Um, what is the key for Joel Embiid? Is it, is it the health? Is it the stamina? Not 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 having a terrible diet. What is the key for him having such a dominant season? Oh, it's most definitely the health. It, health is a major factor because, you know, that's one of the things that he's been struggling with, you know, since he's been drafted into the NBA. I mean, but like you said, man, he is playing at an incredible MVP level. Like, I, this is the Joel Embiid that every Sixers fan has envisioned him having and being if he continues you know to watch what he um watch what he eats and watch what he does and continues to stay in shape this is the Joel Embiid that we want this works hard you know always working on his game a la um Tanner's favorite player Ben Simmons who still refuses to take a jump shot you know what you know what let me take that back let me take that back Ben Simmons has been impressive these last three four games he's been playing um, very aggressive, but here's the thing though. I need that to be consistent. I, I, I just, I need in order for this Sixers team to go far. I mean, we're talking people, people are talking about this team going to the finals. Okay. In order for that to happen, Ben Simmons is going to have to have those types of games. Like he's going to have to continue to be aggressive. Like he cannot be scared of contact. He's going to have to continue, you know, getting to the paint, pushing the tempo, do it consistently. That's all we're asking. Do it consistently. If you're not going to take a jump shot, I'm going to need you to be in that paint consistently. 
That's that's fair, T. That, that's a fair point. And I just want to say Joel Embiid is my favorite player on the Sixers. <laughs> now, I do notice that Joel can't be the professional leader of this team, but that's Ben Simmons. That's for Ben Simmons to <laughs> make me. And Joel Embiid, in a game where it was a prove-it game that the Sixers needed to beat the Lakers to prove what they have and what kind of team they are, uh, it did come close at the end. It did. Um, of course, you're playing LeBron James. You, you know it's not going to be an easy skate around to win this game but i'm surprised that joel Embiid wasn't sat maybe in that timberwolves game uh, a little uh, earlier um because that that was that was an easy game carl anthony Towns, he's not playing um and i mean even so if he is playing that's a different thing because because cat and Embiid they they got history going beef back and forth um that so that's a good matchup but that timberwolves game maybe have sat joel Embiid. now his health is is a major concern Still, uh, we bring in Dwight Howard, but as we've mentioned, he is just a foul, he, a foul magnet. He goes in, steps on the court, um, the ref blows the whistle. Uh, that's a foul for Dwight Howard. Um, you understand what I'm saying to you? I mean, he's, he's close to fouling out every game. It's just sometimes it, it gets a little tiring. But for him to come in, it's still better than the situation we were in last season. When Joel Embiid is out, you have a little more confidence that Dwight Howard he, he's a playmaker, uh, he's powerful, and he, he controls the guys in the matchups that he goes against. So Joel Embiid, he needs to stay healthier than he has been. I think the bubble kind of kind of made him that way in a way, but it seemed like the bubble Sixers, it was Ben Simmons' team. And now this Sixers, this is Joel Embiid's team with Ben Simmons being the executive with telling the team what to do because Joel Embiid isn't at that professional level now albeit he is a father now um he's playing with a different thing to prove and he's proving daryl morey said that this team is a championship team or bust um and that's that's weighs a lot on these players but i think that they can get it done and i think the past few seasons we've been wondering can ben simmons and joel play together and it seems like they can only play together now, now, before you get into it, Max, I, I got to say, let, let, let's just go back to the reason why everybody feels as though he should have been sat in that Timberwolves game. All right, in that Lakers game, there was a clear and obvious flagrant foul on the supposed king of the NBA, LeBron stinking James. How dare you? All right, that was a cheap shot. Let's be honest here. All right, that was completely unnecessary. The reason why he pushed Joel Embiid like that was because he was going to be posterized and he didn't want to be embarrassed. All right, but that was absolutely ridiculous. LeBron should have been ejected for that. I agree with Embiid. He should have been ejected. I think the reason that there's mixed views in that is because it is LeBron James. LeBron James isn't a dirty player. Um, And I think if it was maybe, say, cousins or 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 someone yeah yeah um it it would be a different story but Joel Embiid he he did say that he wanted LeBron out of the game after that and that was a hard hit I'm surprised that he played the next play yes Uh, he was in there he he was limping around I was worried that he might be out for a month at least and that was concerning because we're talking about can this Sixers team play without Joel Embiid and now he gets injured against this Lakers team and then maybe we go and we drop and and we drop it to the Timberwolves who knows what happens Joel Embiid this team is focused around Joel Embiid Um, Ben Simmons he has his off days um, 11 points uh, two straight games I believe it was the Sixers still win guys step up Tobias Harris uh, Shake Milton 
Um, you got even Tyrese Maxey. They step up, and that's why this team is better than they have been, and that's why you can go back to Max's video on our Instagram page, why to buy into the Sixers team because of the bench. Now, there's still, as we keep mentioning show after show, there's still room to improve on the bench, and yep. I've seen mock trades with that too, but this team is good, better than what they've been. Man, there's no doubt about that. You, you're gonna, you're not gonna get no argument out of me out of that. But uh, LeBron could have at least offered to help him up. I, mean, I understand, you know, hard fouls happen, but you stared him down. That's where I got pissed off. You didn't help him up. I think you stared him down. I think it's because Joel Embiid's now known for that flop too, where, it, where he on. flops every once in a while. I, I know. And, and the matchup was getting a little heated, but I do agree. Um, I, I, was that who reached out? Someone reached down on the Lakers for Joel Embiid's hand I f- right away. I forget. And, but LeBron did kind of just stand there and right away. He just he, I complain. I do see your point there. That's all I'm saying. See that that's that, that's what it was for me. I, th- I think you know that's almost like the Jason Terry Miami days with LeBron. The, the dunk, the stare down, the step over. Um, listen. I get it. You know, there was no support there for Joel Embiid at the fall, and I got very nervous, very whatever, whatever word you want to use, scared, nervous. Um, but listen, when when he stood there and then he gave like a little like smirk, a little look down, like I was like, come on, man, like he's dominating your whole team. No one can stop him. And now, what are you gonna just foul him hard, and then you're gonna like look at him like you're you know a big tough guy? Like I I thought if it's any other player in the league, um, maybe like Steph Curry. Not like now talk about superstars, but. Uh, if it's any other player in the league, I think personally they could eject it on that play. That's just my two cents on it. it um, but I'm gonna be yeah. honest with you, that was just a straight up move. It was. I'm sorry, it just was. No, I agree with you. That. Now we all know Joel Embiid. And one note here before we move on from our superstar: 27 minutes played against Minnesota Timberwolves, 37 points scored, which is tremendous. He didn't have to play that 35 to 40 minute mark, which is awesome. You know, traveling. I know it wasn't a back to back, but still traveling to Minnesota. Um, you know the whole deal there. So hopefully continues to stay healthy doc rivers hopefully doesn't have to play him uh against weaker opponents 40 minutes like he had to do almost against the lakers but um one thing i want to touch on here before i get to doc rivers because that's a big part of this for me tonight um is tobias harris tobias harris being able to pick up some momentum here uh playing so much better than what he did last season under the tutelage of Brett brown and now he's got doc rivers a lot of people were you know, hesitant to buy into the fact that he has best season under Doc Rivers in that 2018-19 season as a Clipper. People were saying, oh, well, is that going to happen? Was it a fluke? You know, you can't look too much into a coach. But with Tobias Harris, guys, it looks like with Doc Rivers, he's a completely different player, more confident, more aggressive. Being able to knock down mid-range shots is what you need late in games because you don't want to rely on that three ball and you don't want to rely on the refs calling a foul driving. So a lot of people don't buy into that mid-range shot. But I do. I personally like the mid-range shover, especially late in games. That's exactly what we need. Joel Embiid getting double teamed. He's getting triple teamed at times against the Lakers. Tobias Harris says, no, coach, give me that basketball. One-on-one, smaller, weaker defender like Alice Caruso. Gets to his sweet spot there, right on the left elbow. We've seen him knock it down so many times and, and just puts that that one home. Great victory overall. But let's just focus on Tobias Harris. What do you guys what do you guys like what you've seen, right? I mean, this guy looks like a different player. First off, I've sneaking love what I've seen, and I've always been a supporter of Tobias Harris. As a matter of fact, I've always said that his game, you know, it, it's more of a mid-range game. Like, he can shoot that three. Like, you still have to respect him from the three-point range. But his game, where he was going to make his money, is in that mid-range. And Doc Rivers recognizes that. And, you know, in the beginning of the season, I don't know if everybody was noticing, but Tobias Harris was shooting a lot of threes in the beginning of the season. That's not his game, like I just said. Mid-range. 
that's where he that's where he excels. It's like you said, Max, he went to that left elbow, something that he's done countless times, and he shot over Alex Caruso for the clutch shot. I need Tobias Harris to stay in that mid-range. If Tobias Harris stays in that mid-range, um, mid-range area of the court, I'm telling you, it's gonna justify that contract, and I think people are gonna be a whole lot more happier about him. Right. I've seen things where it says that we need to apologize. We criticize Tobias. I'm not criticized that. And, and if a player plays bad, you're gonna you're gonna talk about it, and and he's gonna have time to improve. Wise now, Tobias Harris, we brought him on because of his performance uh, beyond the three, um, and, and it didn't seem to be clicking the the few. He was getting into Tobias Harris and you know clicking into the you know the flow of the game, but um yeah I think Tobias Harris is a huge is a huge asset to this team and I think he's going to be a huge asset to this team moving forward. Averaging a career high in points that are or excuse me not a career high in points but a career high in field goal percentage career high in three point percentage he's averaging over that twenty point mark there. I'm gonna throw back to Tanner to wrap up his point about Tobias Harris. Tanner you have to like what you're seeing from Tobias and I think we're gonna mention the shooting percentages that he's done from beyond the arc. Yeah, he's definitely been improving, and we mentioned that Lakers shot, and now we have more confidence in him. Now, previously, it would go to Tobias, and he'd he'd bank it off, or it'd be a brick, and we'd be like, here it goes again for Tobias. (laughs) But now we have more standards for him. He's now that clutch guy, and he's going to act upon that, and we got to see more from him still, but we got to have more confidence now with that shot that he made. Now he's another guy that we can give the ball to in a clutch time. Yeah, listen, this team is different. I I completely buy into this team. A lot of people are so weird, you know. I need James Harden. I need James Harden to pound the table. I want want Ben Simmons gone. He can't shoot. He can't shoot. All understandable points because of the headaches that we've had to deal with for the past how many seasons, you know, three, four seasons. But the fact that this team's still succeeding without, you know, James Harden on this team really shows you the mind of Daryl Moore. This guy, I mean, it's it's unlike any other with him in, in basketball being able to make moves. Brings in Seth Curry, Danny Green. People weren't so high on Danny Green. People were like he's an old veteran player. This guy is still a baller. He can knock down the three ball um, very efficiently. So let's just speak real quick before I throw it to you guys, but to you first. Mm. Just speak to the to the shooter mentality, be able to just have those trusted guys to knock down those shots when a B gets doubled or tripled and things like that. And also touch on a little bit of Tyrese Maxey in that bench real quick because I want to wrap this up with Doc Rivers. But Tyrese Maxey, shake. Um, in the running for MVP, or excuse me, MVP, six man of the year. Excuse me, Doc Rivers has a history of that. We all know uh, back in LA. But just speak to the bench, speak to speak to the shooting as well. It's one of the things that I brought up um, in the offseason that they needed to improve on was that bench. You know, it's one thing to have the starters, but you got to have the bench to be able to rest those starters. And that bench still has to be able to produce. That bench has to have, you know, some kind of an identity. Somewhat. Are they going to be an offensive bench where they're going to continue to score? Are they going to be a defensive bench or are they going to be an energy bench where they just come in and they're up tempo and things of that nature? And I think we're that energy bench. And I, I love the bench makeup. Y'all know how I feel about Shake Milton. I love Shake Milton. I, I said um, last season, uh, I stuck my neck out, my neck out for Shake Milton. I said that, you know, He's going to be a major piece moving forward, and he has been on the bench. Tyrese Maxey has been a pleasant surprise coming out of Kentucky. All right. He really pushes the ball. All right. I love his little Florida game. I love I love the fact that he's very aggressive, you know, driving to the lane. I, I love all those little things. Um, I do think, though, that we do need to expand a little bit on that bench, and I still think that we need some more shooters because the, the shooting aspect of the bench is still inconsistent and still needs work. 
Um, but you know, I think those things will, I think those things will work out. I think Daryl Morey sees that. So I'm pretty confident that he'll fix up those, uh, woes. Yeah. Going into the season, you had to have expected this team to be better from three point percentage. And at first it started a little slow. The guys were getting in their rhythm with Danny green and Seth Curry. Uh, the Sixers team is now, I believe ranked 12th for the three point percentage. And these guys, I let, I have the stats right here, 51% from Seth Curry. Danny Green's got 37%. There's still room for improvement there right. for Danny Green. Um, he, he's been off, but now they're proving that they can be those guys shooting the three. And now we have an addition because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they need those guys around them. Now Joel has sort of picked up uh, shooting from the arc, but he knows his role now. He knows that with guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green, that he can depend on them to, to pitch it out to them for them to shoot. Now you have guys on this team that set up other of the stars for these shots and shake Melton's one of them. And you have Tobias Harris. Now we can trust for the shot too. Tyrese Maxey going in there. And even Furkan Korkmaz, I know that's Max's favorite player <laughs> on this team. I hate you. <laughs> uh, he can, he can make up shots too, but that's a guy I want to keep our eye out on to be moved around for a trade if it happens. Yeah, I think we do need one more piece on that bench. I think Mike Scott's value is basically at zero right now. I was hoping maybe we can put him in a deal maybe. And people were even saying Danny Green in a deal, which I think is ridiculous. No, no. I think another thing you have to mention is the fact, you know, that Tyrese Maxey has come in here. We finally have a player you just plug and play from the draft. I don't even – I guess Joel and Peter Ben Simmons maybe the last time we had a guy we just step on the court and ball. You know, so it's great to have, you know, Tyrese Maxey. Um, he, sh- he hasn't done, you know, great recently, but I feel he's a very efficient player. And he had the opportunity to show what he can do um, when Seth Curry had that that COVID incident, um, you know, against Brooklyn. So I, I think you do need one. Well, oh, there goes my phone. I think you do need, uh, you know, one more <laughs> bench. And uh, and I think if, once you have that, yeah, that's you, ludicrous. Uh, PJ Tucker on an expiring contract, something like that. Um, I think it would be great for this team. And I want to wrap this up with Doc Rivers. Just touch on Doc Rivers real quick, guys. Um, people were saying early on, especially in the media, Doc Rivers, you know, I'm not buying into that coaching change. I think the players are the players, the talent that takes over. Do you think Doc Rivers really has an impact on this team as they go, uh, you know, through these road trips and, and through this COVID-related season? It's kind of weird, obviously, for everybody. You know, what's his impact? Man, if anybody who's saying that, yo, man. It's ridiculous. That is a ridiculous statement to make, and I'm going to tell you why. In that Lakers game, if Brett Brown was still coaching this team, that's a loss. That is a loss because exactly what happened in that Lakers game was the same things we were complaining about with the Sixers team. They would get up big. They would get comfortable. And all of a sudden, the the, um, the opposing team would come back and they would lose. What happened? The Lakers, the, uh, the Sixers started coasting. They started getting lazy in the last four minutes of the game. The Lakers started catching up. Boom. They ended up taking the lead. And... What does Doc Rivers do? He called a timeout and he gave it to them before um, before the commercial break. He's like, listen, guys, what are we doing? I need that out of my coach. I need that. I need my coach to tell to tell his guys, look, y'all, just because you have a big lead, that does not mean you get to coast to the win. These are still the Lakers. These are the NBA champions here. Like you guys need to put keep putting your foot on their throats. Do not let up. I needed to see that. I love the fact that he's doing that. Coaching is a huge aspect to the reason as to the reason why this Sixers team is very successful. For me, it's the accountability that we're seeing on this Sixers squad. We knew before we mentioned it on our show before the season started that 
Doc Rivers in town meant that there's going to be more responsibility. Uh, he, he's going to know to coach these guys. He has more he has more experience. I think Tanner was getting into the fact that, you know, with having mm-hmm. Doc Rivers that – Press. Uh, if he makes a mistake in the game plan, he fesses up to it. And if it's yeah, Tanner was getting into the experience of the team and having an experienced coach like Doc Rivers, I think definitely helps. Of course, one hundred percent agree with that, guys. And you know, to, to wrap up on this final segment here, the Sixers, I think it is huge with Doc Rivers. I feel like building those personal relationships, and I mentioned that the accountability factor is huge for the Sixers. Um, you know, having better guys on the team as well. Even Seth Curry has been around the league longer than most people think about six years now. Uh, so, so having that, uh, you know, those guys, those veteran players, the accountability with Ben Simmons, especially Ben Simmons, you need to hold him accountable. I personally, at this point, think we can win a championship without Ben Simmons shooting a jump shot, as long as he continues to be aggressive, like T's Ted drive, get those shots in the lane, get to that free throw line. He hasn't been horrible from the foul line this year. He's been a little bit better. Um, still like to see that percentage climb more and more. But as long as he keeps getting in that lane um, and, and getting those rebounds and, and just playing his role, I think people were so stressing him, the sh- stressing uh, the fact that he needs to shoot the basketball more, which is understandable. I get that 100% the whole thing. Still does. And, and I get it. Um, and then people want to make sure that it's going to open up the drive for him and be able to get there and attack the rim and make it easier for him inside. As long as we keep playing the way we're playing right now, I love this team. I think the sky's the limit no in, in all honesty. No doubt. Guys, let's talk about this Eagles team and specifically his press conference about the direction of this Eagles team, his coaching staff, the quarterback situation. I'm sick of this. I just want to, I just want to ask T first off the bat. I know you have so much to say and we want to roll into this, but the first question I have is the quarterback situation. When he lied to the the city of Philadelphia, when he said that he does not think about the quarterback situation, how do you not think about the quarterback situation? You're brought in here to fix the quarterback situation. How do you not think about it? First off, what <laughs> when he said that, I said, you know what, man, straight this up. This is some bullshit. You, you, man, you are lying to us. Because first off, that has to be the very first question that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie asked you in the interview process what were you going to do with the quarterback situation i could almost guarantee you that was the first question so you're lying straight off the bat talking about something you ain't think about the quarterback situation are you bleeping kidding me that is the that is the number one problem with this team what are we going to do at the quarterback situation do not sit there and tell me that you haven't thought about it i don't even care if you lied to me and you said well i'm looking at the tape right now and we're gonna go in i'm gonna go in and evaluate and i'm gonna talk to those guys i'm gonna revisit that you could have said that but instead you said you didn't think about it you're lying to me not a good start i I have a I, i have a serious problem with that first and foremost so i'm i'm peeled about that not to mention the fact that listen okay so I'm going to defend Nick Sirianni a little bit on this one because apparently he's been getting ripped religiously for his press conference and how nervous he was. Listen, listen, public speaking ain't for everybody. He's got to be prepped. I understand that. And he looked nervous. He did. I can give him a pass because, you know, Doug Peterson wasn't the best um, public speaker and he didn't do that hot in, you know, the press conferences. But I feel as though he got a little bit, a little bit more comfortable with it over time. So I can forgive him for the press conference. Supposed to be easier. This is virtual event. This isn't in front of people. This is all camera. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still, man, it, you're still a young, you're a young guy. You're 39 years old. You know, you're, you came in and 
First time being a head coach, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so I can yeah. forgive him for that. One word that I think of when I think of this press conference and I think of Nick Sirianni is unimpressed. All right, I wasn't really impressed with anything that was said. And for now now we can put the the way that the the conference went. He's a first-time head coach as we mentioned. Can't put that on him. It's public speaking. He's not a public speaker. He's a football coach. Um, and Max did mention virtually wise too. I just noticed that he, he was repeating himself often. He didn't want to say the wrong thing, which you got to Like you go to Adam Gase's first conference with the jets and that was a, a mess too. the lions head coach. That was pretty exciting in a way with the kind of stuff he was talking about. Yeah, but he was talking like about Nick biting Sirianni. kneecaps, man. <laughs> biting kneecaps. <laughs> it, it was, it was a different approach than what Nick Sirianni went with and he was bring he's bringing in his guys coaches wise and Howie Roseman he's still obviously controlling this team you knew that was going to happen with young head coach you knew it was going to be Jeffrey Lurie and more importantly Howie Roseman's show and Nick Sirianni he mentioned that Howie Roseman still has the final say on the 53-man roster and he didn't commit to Wentz and previously before we got a head coach to assigned and after too we looked at how Doug Peterson left in favor of Carson Wentz. You thought now, all right, it, it's leaning more towards Carson Wentz to be the starter of this team next season. And now we hire a Colts coach to be the head coach of this team, worked with Frank Wright. And you're like, okay, even more so. His his extensive work with quarterbacks too on the on the Colts, especially you saw how Phillip Rivers was able to take that Colts team yes. to the playoffs leaning even more towards Carson Wentz. And now the Eagles bring in Brian Johnson, quarterback coach, a guy who's known Jalen Hurts since Jalen Hurts was four years old. Man, that's so we don't know where to lean. Uh, Nick Sirianni doesn't know where to lean either. And he's mentioned his conversations that he's had with Carson Wentz. But one thing I did notice is when he was asked if he had conversations with Jalen Hurts, his tone was kind of different. It seemed mm. like maybe he didn't have an extensive conversation with Jalen Hurts and he kind of making it seem like he did. The tone was just different for me. That's just something I noticed. I was paying close attention to how he sort of handled the topic of Carson Wentz too. And I like how he didn't, he, he said that he, he didn't want to, bring up what they mentioned because this team is all about being together unity and he focused on how they have to love each other and and how this team sort of needs to focus on that aspect i'm worried about how they need to focus on the field and how they play on the field the game plan i wanted to hear more of that and i was just going through it and i was bored yep. uh, <laughs> with you, and that's why i said unimpressive i want to quick mention here make a note Jeffrey Lurie stepping up and talking for like 20 straight minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, but listen, it's neither here nor there. I think one thing guys, I'm just, I'm so split on this. I'm, I got 50% of me is like, stay optimistic, stay optimistic. The other 50% of me is I'm so worried. I'm so, this is either going to be just great and turn things around the young minds and, and the schemes is going to be great. And we're going to, you know, be able to at least play football at a, at a, you know, fundamentally high rate. But, I'm sick of this. So, you know, leaning in the back of my head, leaning towards the nervous side because we don't have any talent on the team, first of all. And that's the biggest thing. And he said that, oh, this team's so talented. You know, Howie Roseman, his squad has done a great job of bringing in guys in here. And, and that's, that's just a why. You know, you can't, <laughs> do that. you can't just say that we have talent on this team. We were literally uh, just one of the worst teams in football last year. Did he not watch any of the, any of the highlights? 
of what we did last year. Just absolutely terrible. You know, speaking no, not to interrupt you, Max, but speaking of watching film, when he said that, you know, he hasn't watched the 2020 film of Carson Wentz, but he watched the 2017 film. I could give a damn about 2017 Wentz. I care about what the crap you're going to do with this current version of Carson Wentz. Because 2017 Carson Wentz and 2020 Carson Wentz are two entirely different people. I need to know what you're going to do with 2020 version. 100% 100% agree. And, and the thing that bothers me even more is how Roseman's still controlling this team. And he said it, how Roseman's going to control, you know, the, the full roster, what it's going to look like. Um, you know, I think um, Nick Sirianna will have the say in who's active and inactive on game day. But the way how Roseman's been drafting and, and things like that, Nick Sirianna's opinion might not even matter going into this draft and who the players he thinks are going to be able to, you know, produce for this football team. Who knows who we're going to take? Don't be surprised. I'm not, I'm literally not surprised. What happens if we take another quarterback? Oh my gosh. So I was, I was actually going to, in the future, I was actually going to talk about that. As a matter of fact, I I did mention that um, I will start up a college series on the Philly experience um, network that, you know, I'm going to highlight certain college players, but one of the things I was going to bring up and it's something that's going to, that's heating up now is the fact that there is the potential that this team is going to draft another quarterback. And if they do, I'm going to lose my head. I think this is all going to come down to early on. I'm not going to be surprised here. I think you have to look at the draft specifically and look at our team next year. I think next year is going to tell us a lot. Is this going to be the same Howie Roseman team? Is this going to be the same terrible draft pick, terrible draft pick, um, because there's only so much coaching you can do. Maybe you can develop guys. Who knows what Jalen Rager can be? But that's only one player. Overall, I think if we go into the next season and we don't see any, you know, right off the bat, we got two players out of this draft that are really solid starters. I mean, you can look at you can you can make the excuses of the offense. A lot of us banged up last year. Understand? I gonna get it. They're gonna be back healthy this year. Maybe Miles Sanders won't fumble the ball as much this year. I mean, the list goes on that's and ridiculous. on. Ridiculous. Listen, Tanner, you personally, if, if we go through another draft. The next season it comes out, we're another what four and 12, five and 11 team. I'm super nervous going forward. I, I just am, you know, because it's not that Nick Sirianna's a bad coach, it's the fact that Howie Roseman's still running the organization and the team in general. And also, on top of that, Jeffrey Lurie's not going to fire him. Like, that's the thing. If he does a poor job, it doesn't look like, you know, he's out at all as general manager. It, I mean, you can highlight it, it's just band aids at this point for the Eagles. They're, they're doing anything they can just to, just to, to to hold it together for the mean for the mean part now i want to go back to sirianni and he did say that he was open to suggestion with the play with the play calling and that helps because doug peterson he was sort of held on to that role as the as the premier play caller and he did obviously he needed some help in that aspect too and we mentioned miles sanders and the lack of fumbles too and i think one thing that this team also needs to worry about is the departure of Deuce Staley and how these running backs are going to be able to, to, to be coached. Uh, Miles Sanders, he only knew Deuce Staley as an Eagles coach. Now he, he is a young player. Of course, uh, you have to expect that he's going to have to adjust quarterback wise at some point, but this is early on that he's already now a different head coach now a different running backs coach. And I think these players really like Deuce Staley. And I think that's going to hurt with the morale reason wise and i think that i don't think we're going to draft Devonte smith i think that's pretty much off the board right now it's an eagles. outrage and, and i've seen the eagles and mock drafts drafting justin fields 
And and that really that worries me too. That because you're just bringing on controversy off. at this at, at this point. It, it's it's the Philadelphia controversy, not the Philadelphia Eagles. Because year after year, different controversy is Carson Wentz a team player? He's not a team player. Apparently, this year, who's our quarterback? Is Alshon Jeffries going to be on the, it? It's all controversy. And now I don't know is if it's going to be Sertain, Chase, or if we're going to draft any of those guys, if we're going to go with a punter, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> at this point with how Howie Roseman is. Of course, that's too far. But certain uh, he's not the top cornerback, but I think maybe cornerback would be the best way to go first uh, with our first draft pick. If you go... Uh, horrible decision. And it's not. It's really not a horrible decision considering, you know, anything defense for me personally is a good pick right now the way we stand. But I want to give it... Because I know we want to get into the draft in future shows and we'll have all these draft discussions um, going forward and picks and things like that. So I'm going to give it to you here for the last word mm-hmm. and throw it to you specifically and just re- just just overall your impressions over in general with this team going forward because I, I kind of want to save that draft as a uh, draft discussion as we get closer to it. But I agree 100% with Sertan and especially it's never... Go- you never go wrong drafting the Alabama product. So it, it just real quick, if you go with Sertain, um, I, I suggest you move back because, like you said, he's not exactly the best corner prospect. I think he's going to be ranked number one overall because of where he came from. But I don't think, you know, you can you need to draft him at number six. You can move back and get more draft picks if that's who you're, you know, going for. But that's just me personally. But, um, look, this team needs a lot of help. I, and we said this, okay? Um, this team <laughs> – Nick Sirianni has a lot on his plate to deal with, and he did not get off to a good start calming down this friend, coming down this fan base. Okay, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say I'm going to reserve judgment because I, I I wasn't a believer in Doug Peterson, but I gave Doug Peterson the benefit of the doubt, and I got a Super Bowl victory out of it. So I'm going to give him a chance. I will give him a chance. I will give him an opportunity to prove that he's a better coach than he is a public speaker. Um, in terms of Carson Wentz, okay, look, you got they got to make a decision, and they have to they have to make it before the season starts. They have you're to know gonna in this offseason, right? They got to know they got to know what you have with them in this yes, offseason. They you you got to know if you're gonna get rid of them. You got to know if you're gonna keep them. It. That decision needs to be made. But um, speaking of Carson Wentz, I came across an article that came out today that was really interesting. Um, they interviewed Malcolm Jenkins um, about the status of the Eagles. And, you know, he did mention that, you know, he did mention that he wasn't really paying attention to the Eagles like that. But there are some things hi- I, I, I highlighted that he said. So take a listen on this. He said, I think that, is a little bit on the coaching staff about Carson's, you know, attitude and his success. Well, lack of success this season. I think that's a little bit on the coaching staff. That is also some on us, on us, on the player. Like every player should go into every offseason evaluating what they did well, what they didn't do well. You look to see improvement year after year, but if that is not the case, you don't see it and there are no changes and that is not being addressed. Then I know as a player, you almost feel like, what are we doing? That's pretty damning. Because that's saying that that's calling Carson Wentz out. So think about it. We crucified Joe Santaliquido on on these airwaves, defending Carson Wentz. We crucified Josina Anderson and the fact that it was rumored that Alshon Jeffrey was the leak. We crucified everybody defending this man. And now it comes out that they just might be correct about Carson Wentz's attitude, which is crazy because you didn't play that damn well this season so why why do you have this i'm mightier than now attitude that's got to change 
it's a lot and it's gotten so you know so leaked into the public now and the public eye it's been it's been crazy um and guys that's going to wrap it up for the eagles discussion this week you know we're going to be back with discussion all throughout the offseason of course we're going to get into the draft and, and just continue to, to touch on all this drama and the new hirings with um Sirianni, even though most of his guys are hired at this point but we're going to cover it all for you uh, as we get closer to this draft you guys missed any of this episode you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com we are available all major downloadable platforms apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify youtube the entire shabazz you can catch each segment on youtube and instagram and guys i don't know if you guys knew this little fact but um we've been doing this for three years now three years we've been doing this so happy anniversary guys and i hope that we continue to do this more I really miss doing this in the studio with you guys, though. I really do. We got our ass kicked. In my opinion, that sucks. I want winners. Oh, man, that's irritating. Give me a green right slot, spider two Y banana.